This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Photographing the Green Comet, Emperor Penguins, Giant Squid, Toadzilla, and more. Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 309 for Sunday, January 22nd, 2022. And in today's episode, I'm talking about the latest news and rumor stories that caught my eye for this past week. But first, I wanted to remind all of my listeners that my current contest is underway where you can enter for a chance to win a Platypod Extreme valued at $150. And the prize is sponsored by Platypod. The show is not just the contest. So just to be clear on that for full transparency. All right, let's see what we have for this week. How to spot and photograph the green comet that's passing by Earth. A stunning green comet will be visible from Earth in the coming days, even with the naked eye, giving photographers an opportunity to capture the comet that won't appear again for another 50,000 years. The C-2022 E3 ZTF, to give the comet its official name, has passed the sun and is heading out of the solar system. But before it disappears into the cosmos, it will hopefully shine brightly over the Earth. Astronomers have already been capturing the celestial rock as it steadily gains brightness, which should peak on February 2nd when it comes within 26.4 million miles of the Earth. Sky watchers in the United States and the rest of the Northern Hemisphere should be able to see it faintly using just their eyes. But don't wait until February 2nd. The coming day may provide a glimpse of Comet E3. Tomorrow, January 21st, uh, which would be today, the day I'm recording, should present an opportunity to spot the comet because the new moon makes the sky particularly dark. The comet will be near the Draco constellation, which runs between the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. The Draco constellation is shaped like a dragon, and the comet will work its way down the tail until January 30th. It will reside directly between the Big Dipper's Cup and Polaris, the North Star. For a more modern approach, you can use the SkyLive website, which allows you to enter your location, and it will tell you the comet's brightness, the constellation it's located in, and even a map. F-Stoppers recommends January 25th as a date to bring the Astro camera out as the moon won't interfere too much on that date. As per Petapixel's guide on astrophotography, shooters are advised to use raw mode, use a tripod, and a headlamp to see in the dark. Open the aperture on your lens as wide as it will go and set your ISO accordingly to how dark the sky is. Shutter speed is tricky because too long and you'll get star trails too short and it will be too dark. 15 seconds is a good time, but read Petapixel's guide for a more detailed explanation. So this is definitely an interesting item, and I might have to see if I can spot this comet for myself. I don't normally do astrophotography, but I've always been intrigued by space and celestial objects and bodies, so it would be cool 
to get a snap or two of this. That would be really, really cool. Satellite images discover a new emperor penguin colony in Antarctica. Scientists have discovered an emperor penguin colony living in a remote region of Antarctica thanks to satellite imagery. The colony of 500 birds were discovered thanks to the guano stains they leave, which stand out against the ice. Emperor penguins live in a very difficult area to access, making satellites vital to monitoring the population. There are 66 emperor penguin colonies dotted around Antarctica's coastline, half of which have been revealed thanks to satellite imagery. A team from the British Antarctic Survey, or BAS, study images from the European Commission's Copernicus Sentinel-2 satellite mission and compared them with the high-resolution pictures from the Maxar Worldview-3 satellite. Scientists confirmed the colony's presence at Ver Verlager Point, West Antarctica. Quote, this is an exciting discovery. The new satellite images of Antarctic, uh, Antarctica's coastline have enabled us to find many new colonies, since, says Dr. Peter Fretwell, who studies wildlife from space for BAS. Quote, and whilst this is good news, like many of the recently discovered sites, this colony is small and in a region badly affected by recent sea ice loss. Emperor penguins are vulnerable to the loss of sea ice. As the southern ice cap warms up, the birds will find their favored breeding habitat eroding. Current climate change models warn that under current warming trends, 80% of the colonies will be quasi-extinct by the end of the century. This is when a population becomes so small it's unable to sustain its population. Even if the global temperatures increase by just 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit or 1.5 degrees Celsius, the best-case scenario, experts believe the emperor penguin population will decrease by 31% over the next three generations. Counting penguins from orbit is an impossible task. To land at the 500 number, BAS researchers evaluate the birds' huddles. In 2022, the team spotted 11 new emperor penguin colonies, once again using satellite imagery to do so. But the scientists warn that most of the newly found colonies are at the very edge of the penguins' breeding range, situated in areas likely to be lost as the climate warms. Emperors are the largest species of penguin and stand four feet tall and can weigh up to 100 pounds. The flightless birds huddle together to keep warm in their icy home where temperatures reach as low as negative 130 degrees Fahrenheit or 90 degrees Celsius. And this is definitely a really cool story. I've always been enthralled and enamored by penguins, and the emperor penguins, as this article states, are the largest of all the penguin species. I know I, when I lived in Georgia, I'd love to go to the Georgia Aquarium and photograph the penguins that they had there. They weren't emperor penguins, and to be honest, I can't remember which species they were off the top of my head, but I don't know. I just always thought penguins look really cool and that they were interesting to observe and see how they move around, act, and react to different things. Divers capture rare footage of live giant squid in Japan. A pair of divers captured the moment they came face-to-face -face with a giant squid, which are rarely seen alive by humans. Yosiki Tanaka and Miki Tanaka filmed their close-up encounter with the huge creature when they were diving off the coast of Toyuka City in Hyogo Prefecture, Japan, on January 6th. 
The footage, which was recorded on the couple's underwater camera, shows the eight-foot-long squid floating in the waters. Science Alert reports that the couple who operate a diving business in Toyuka City in the Hyogo region were told about the giant squid by a fishing equipment vendor who had seen it in a bay. The pair decided to take their boat out to get a glimpse of the creature as it floated along a rocky shoreline. Quote, there it was. It was an enormous squid, Yasuki Tanaka tells AFP. Quote, we didn't see the kinds of agile movements that many fish and marine key creatures normally show, he adds. Its tentacles and fins were moving very slowly. However, Tanaka says he could see that the squid was a powerful predator. Quote, I could see its tentacles moving. I thought it would be dangerous to be grabbed hard by them and taken off somewhere, he recalls. Quote, we swam together and took pictures. I was so happy that the squid was within my reach, but its eyes were so big. It was so big that I started to feel scared. Tanaka says that his experience with the giant squid was a memorable one. Quote, it was very exciting. I think there is nothing rarer than this. I have heard not a lot is known about this creature, and I'd be happy if this helps us learn more. According to National Geographic, the giant squid remains largely a mystery to scientists despite being the biggest invertebrate on Earth. The largest giant squid measures 59 feet in length and weighed nearly a ton. Giant squid are known to live in the waters around Japan and occasionally wash ashore. Seeing them alive in the wild remains very rare. Giant squids are scarcely known to leave the deep sea and swim along the coast. Their inhospitable deep sea habitat has made them extremely difficult to study, and almost everything scientists know about giant squid is from carcasses that have washed up on beaches or been hauled in by fishermen. So this is definitely really cool, and there's an accompanying YouTube video um, that you can check out if you look in this article in today's show notes. You can check that out for yourself. Arctic Dreams and Autochrome, photos from 1912 Greenland Expedition. More than a century ago, a Swiss expedition sledged across Greenland's ice sheet, recording their feats in full color. A new book and an exhibition gives these images a new lease on life. Think of polar exploration a century ago and the classic images that come to mind. Captain Scott's ship framed in an ice cave, Shackleton's endurance trapped in the ice, all are monochrome. But just after Captain Scott perished in Antarctica, a low-budget expedition set out from Switzerland with a very rare or a very different approach to photography. They thought in color. Led by the Swiss meteorologist Alfred de Courvain, 1879-1927, the four scientists aimed to make the first west-east crossing of central Greenland's ice cap. And in June-July of 1912, they did exactly that, covering 640 kilometers in 31 days, skiing behind a trio of dog sleds. On this expedition, nobody fell in a crevice, froze to death, or suffered so much as frost-nipped fingers. Some of the expedition members even managed to gain weight before coming home in the autumn of the same year. And on the way, they documented their progress in a trove of color images. Like other polar photographers of the time, they experimented with a color process known as autochrome. This was a mosaic screen technique devised by the Lumiere brothers of Lyon, France, who launched it commercially in 1907. 
Such autochrome plates continued to be the most widely used way of making color prints until color films appeared during the 1930s. The Swiss Expedition's color photographer was Wilhelm Jost, a physics teacher. It's fair to say that his results were mixed. As you can see, the autochrome on the left below is less crisp and colorful than the hand-tinted original black and white image on the right. But one of Jost's autochromes showing an Arctic sunrise, pictured below, and you can find this in the show notes, did appear as the front piece to the expedition's leader's book, which was published in 1914. That was probably a first in polar photography. Captain Scott's photographer, Herbert Ponting, 1870 to 1935, also experimented with autochrome, but not to the captain's satisfaction. Color wasn't just a hobby for the Swiss crew. Like many, an expedition before and since, they'd run up large debts and they hoped to pay these off by making a round of public lectures, illustrated with magic lantern slides. Color pictures would make these events more compelling, but if Wilhelm Jost's experiments weren't numerous or impressive enough, how could they fill the gap? The answer, suggested by a previous Swiss traveler to Greenland, was to hand-tint their black-and-white plates. And fortunately, they were able to find such a specialist in Zurich in, per in the person of Wilhelm Heller, a professional retoucher. Heller's work did the job. Not only did Alfred de Corvain manage to pay off the expedition's debts, but his expedition book, There Were Two, were later reprinted in German together with 60 color plates. This, too, is probably a first for polar photography from such an early date. To mark the 1912 expedition's 110th anniversary, a new book has recently come out featuring an even wider selection of these full-color photographs, which accompany the first full English translation of de Corvain's expedition write-up. And there are some beautiful images in this article in the show notes. In parallel, an expedition entitled Greenland 1912 will run until March 12th at the Forum of Swiss History, an offshoot of the Swiss, Na Swiss National Museum located in the central Swiss canton of Schweiz. The book Across Greenland's Ice Cap, the remarkable Swiss ex uh, scientific expedition of 1912, is published by McGill Queens University Press and is available from Amazon or direct from the publisher's website. So this is definitely really cool. And you got to keep in mind, color photography, as this article stated, was in its infancy when this expedition happened. They had only started using chrome, autochrome color plates in 1907, so just five years earlier. And the technique was still extremely difficult with mixed results. But it is fantastic to see that the Swiss were willing to give it a shot in 1912. The New Big Five, a global photo project supporting endangered wildlife. The New Big Five is a global photo project that brings together over 160 of the planet's best wildlife photographers in a mission to celebrate the beauty of the animal world and also to raise awareness of crucial issues facing wildlife. The new Big Five Project, an international initiative to raise awareness for the world's endangered wildlife, supported by more than 300 photographers, conservationists, and wildlife charities, was founded by Graham Greene, a journalist, photographer, and author. And there's some stunning images in this article in the show notes. Until recently, the Big Five referred to the, big five, uh, the five big game animals that were most difficult for colonial hunters to shoot and kill for trophies. 
Green's goal was to reclaim that gruesome, antiquated term by asking people around the world to vote on the five animals they most like to photograph and see in photos. According to his publisher, more than 50,000 people voted, and the new Big Five of wildlife photography was born. These new Big Five are elephants, polar bears, lions, gorillas, and tigers. The series and book, therefore, contains over 200 portraits and creative photos of these and other gorgeous animals in their natural habitat, as captured by more than 144 globally renowned wildlife photographers, including Ami Vital, Ami Vital Marcel Van Oosten, Paul Nicklin, Steve McCurry, Karen uh, Agner, Brian Scarry, France Lanting, Martina Cano, Beverly Jobert, Clement Kigaru, Thomas Mangleson, Lucas Bustamante, Susie Esteraz, Paul Hilton, Christina Meitemeyer, Gail R. Vand Way, Diz, uh, Daisy Gillardi, uh, Steve Winter, Zing Zhang, Art Wolf, Shannon Wild, Bill Board Lucas, Garcia Rupa, David Lloyd, Sergey Gorstov, Jonathan and Angela Scott, Thomas Vijan, and Tony Wu, as well as many others. In addition to these and other photos, the book itself also features essays from leading conservationists like Dr. Jane Goodall, Dr. Paula Kahambu from Wildlife Direct, and Dr. Tara Stoneski, CEO, Dion, uh, Dion Fossey Gorilla Fund. The new Big Five project did a great job of highlighting endangered species and threats facing animals around the world. It was always my hope to produce a book, the next step in that mission, Green says. Looking at the photos in this book is a powerful reminder of the incredible beauty and diversity of the natural world and what we stand to lose if we don't take urgent action to protect wildlife and the planet. From termites to tigers, all creatures are essential to the balance of nature, healthy ecosystems, and the future of life on Earth. The essays, interviews, and ideas for solutions included in the book point the way to a wilder, fairer world, a path available to us if we choose to take it. The new Big Five will be available starting April 4th, 2023 from Insight Editions and Earth Aware. And it is absolutely fantastic that they've done this project. And like I said, there are some stunning photographs in this article in the show notes, especially some of the big cat photos of lions and tigers, but some overall just amazing imagery that's part of this new project. Photos of Toadzilla, world's largest toad discovered in Australia. An enormous toad discovered in northern Australia is believed to be a record breaker and has been dubbed Toadzilla. The cane toad weighs six pounds or 2.7 kilograms. Australian park rangers were shocked when they found it in Conway National Park. The Guinness World Record cites the largest ever toad as a pet from Sweden set in 1991 weighing 5.8 pounds. Wow. 
Quote, I reached down and grabbed the cane toad and couldn't believe how big and heavy it was, Ranger Kylie Gray says. We dubbed it Toadzilla and quickly put it into a container so we could remove it from the wild. Cane toads are an invasive species that threatens the local ecology. They are native to South America and Central America. A female cane toad like Toadzilla would potentially lay up to 35,000 eggs, senior park ranger Barry Nolales tells Reuters. So their captivity to or their capacity to reproduce is quite staggering, and all parts of the cane toad's breeding cycle are poisonous to Australian native species. So prevention is a big part of how we need to manage them. The massive toad met the fate of most captured cane toads. It was euthanized because of the danger it poses to native wildlife. Quote, a cane toad that size will eat anything it can fit into its mouth, and that includes insects, reptiles, and small mammals, says Gray. Quote, she was found at an elevation of 393 meters, which isn't unusual, but she has created a lot of interest among our ranger staff due to her size. Quote, I'm not sure how old she is, but cane toads can live up to 15 years in the wild, so this one has been around a long time. We're pleased to have removed her from the national park. Cane toads were introduced in Australia in 1935 to control cane beetles and other pests. However, with no natural predators, their population has exploded and they have become a menace to Australian species. Toadzilla is believed to be female because they typically grow larger than their male counterparts. After being weighed and subsequently euthanized, Toadzilla's body has been sent to the Queensland's Mu- Queensland Museum for further analysis. So that's definitely uh, a big toad. <laughs> and you can check out the photographs of it in this article in the show notes. Uh, that is definitely one large toad, and it should be the new world record holder for the largest toad ever found. And I'm going to take a short break right here, and then I'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag. Hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. And now back to the show. And we're back. And now we're going to head on over to Canon Rumors. They actually finally have some new stories this week. Patent Canon RF 14 millimeter F1.4 L ISUSM and the Canon RF 24 millimeter F1.4 L ISUSM. We have another optical formula patent for lenses that are likely to reach the market sometime in the near future. This time, we have formulas for a Canon RF 14mm and 24mm, both F1.4L ISUSM lenses. A fast RFL prime has been long rumored, and an RF 24 1.4L is an obvious missing lens in the RF system. So first, we have the Canon RF 14mm F1.4L ISUSM, focal length 14.30mm, F number 1.44, half angle of view 56.5 degrees, length overall 123.69mm, with a back focus of 12.15mm. 
For the Canon RF 24mm F1.4L ISUSM, focal length 24.48mm, F number 1.44, half angle of view 41.47 degrees, length overall 108.53mm with a back focus of 13.46mm. So definitely some exciting news. It looks like the Canon shooters might be finally getting some L-series wide-angle primes to round out that lens group. The Canon RF 135mm f1.8 LIS will be available globally on January 26, 2023. One of the most anticipated lenses for the Canon RF mount is soon to be shipping the Canon RF 135mm f1.8 LISUSM. Initial stock levels, we are told, would be pretty good, but all pre-orders likely won't be met from the big retailers. Spe uh, the specifications for this lens, RF mount lens, full-frame format, aperture range of f1.8 to f22, nano USM AF system, optical image stabilizer, ultra-low dispersion elements, air sphere coating, lens function buttons and control ring, and a rounded nine-blade diaphragm. If you want to pick up this lens, you can order one for... $2,099. And this is the replacement, remember, for the EF 135mm F2L ISUSM, which is a great lens that I had back in the day when I shot Canon. So definitely worth checking this new lens out if you're shooting Canon RF systems. Now over to Nikon rumors. Nikon is expected to release eight new Z lenses in 2023. Here are the eight lenses from the latest Nikon Z roadmap that are not officially released and the corresponding or updated lens silhouettes. The DX12 to 28mm PZ, the DX24 millimeter, a 26 millimeter, the S line 35 millimeter S, a 70 to 180 millimeter, an S line 85 millimeter S, an S line 135 millimeter S, and a 200 to 600 millimeter. All of the above lenses are expected to be released in 2023, according to Nikon's official lens roadmap. Interesting. Quite a few new lenses coming if they're able to reach their goal. Nikon D850 firmware update version 1.30 released. Shortly after I published my post about Nikon's commitment to supporting older cameras, the company released a new firmware update for the Nikon D850 DSLR camera, which is now almost six years old. And here are the details. Added portrait impression balance to the photo and movie shooting menus. For more information, see supplementary firmware update manual. To view NEF RAW pictures taken using firmware version 1.30 or later on a computer, you will need to update NX Studio version to 1.3.1 or later and picture control utility 2 to version 2.4.14 or later. Fixed an issue that resulted in attempts to initiate lock mirror up for cleaning in the setup menu, causing the camera to display the message disabled network connection in the Bluetooth menu and lock the mirror in the down position, preventing it being raised for cleaning when enabled was selected for either of the following setup menu items, Bluetooth network connection or airplane mode. And you can head on over to Nikon's global website to download this firmware for your D850 so that you can get these new bug fixes.
And now we'll head on over to Fuji Rumors. Viltrox 75mm f1.2, now also at Amazon with delivery on February 6th. The Viltrox 75mm f1.2 is now listed also on Amazon USA. At the time of this post, the expected delivery date for this lens is February 6th and 7th. Also, at the time of this post, there are two promotionals uh, promotions available at Amazon. Receive one 2,000 milliamp hour APP controlled RGB portable light free when you purchase $217 or more of qualifying items offered by Viltrox official store. Restrictions apply. Receive one six inch ring light free when you purchase $85 or more of Viltrox products offered by the Viltrox official store. Restrictions apply. All the details can be checked out at this Amazon page, which you can find in this article in the show notes. You can also order the Viltrox 75mm F1.2 XF mount at Amazon, B&H Photo, and Adorama, and the official Viltrox store. So you can check that out for yourself if you might be interested. Now, I do currently have three of the Viltrox lenses. I have their XF 33mm 1.4, their 56mm 1.4, and the 85mm 1.8 Mark II. And I love all three of those lenses. Fujinon XF 500mm F8. Fujifilm has filed a patent for a Fujinon XF 500mm F8 OIS lens. The F8 aperture would make it a very portable long telephoto option, similar to what Canon offers with their Canon RF 800mm F11 IS STM and the Canon RF 600mm F11 IS STM. What I know is that the Fuji Rumors community wishes mostly for a Fujifilm XF 400mm F4 lens. But feel free to let us know what you'd think about an eventual Fujinon XF 500mm F8. And you can leave your comments in this article that you can find in the show notes at Fuji Rumors. And now on over to Sony Alpha Rumors, it's out, new A7R5 book by Gary L. Friedman. Gary L. Friedman's new A7R5 book is now available worldwide via Amazon US, Canada, and Europe, and the Friedman Archives website. Some highlights, Gary's personal camera settings and what under what circumstances he changes them, over 900 tips and tricks to help you get the most out of each feature, every video setting and feature and trade-offs between the various gamma curves, hidden features that can only be had by assigning them to buttons first, shortcuts to quickly navigate through the new menu system, the phase detect AF's little-known blind spot and how to avoid it, a comprehensive guide to third-party adapters for legacy glass, how to do pixel shift for 240 megabyte images without a tripod, step-by-step instructions for uploading images and video from the field, and more. You can check that book out now, especially if you're a new owner of an A7R5. Leaked image of the new Sigma 50mm f1.4 DGDN e-mount lens. In early February, Sigma will announce this new 50mm f1.4 lens for the Sony E-mount and Leica L-mount. Here is the first image I've gotten of this lens. 
The 50mm f1.4 DGDN art specs are as follows. Lens construction, 14 elements and 11 grooves. Shortest shooting distance of 45 centimeters. Maximum magnification, 1 to 6.8. Number of aperture blades, 11 with a circular aperture. Filter diameter is 72 millimeters. The size is 78.2 by 109.5 millimeters for the L mount. Weight is 670 grams. The lens hood is the LH782-02, and the lens cap is LCF-72 Mark III. And those are all the news and rumors stories for this week. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you're in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, that's going to wrap up episode 309 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. Also wanted to remind you to stop by and check out the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, watch the videos, like them, comment on them, share them out on social media, and hit the little bell icon so you can be notified when new videos drop. I will be releasing a new video later on today. And I also wanted to thank all of you who are current subscribers to the Liam Photography YouTube channel. I'm currently at 5,541 subscribers. I know that's not a lot, but... It is growing slowly, and I do appreciate your support. Now, I also wanted to remind you that I have my own discount code for all Platypod branded products at platypod.com. You can use my code LD20 to save 20% off on all individual Platypod branded products. Does not include the bundles, which are already discounted, nor does it apply to Square Jellyfish or Loom Cube branded items. But hey, you can still save 20% on the Platypod branded items, and that code does not expire. All right, that's it for this one. I will see you all again on Thursday.